morning. How are you all? Awesome. I hope you slept well and were warm. <clears throat> I thought I knew what cold was, and now I'm learning. Uh, in Mexico, it never gets this cold, thankfully. We, uh, I think we would die because uh, the houses aren't insulated and there's no heat, so we don't need it, really. Uh, in January, at any, any day, it could be 40 degrees or it could be 100, so that's just, that's where we are, so we don't get this. It's, it's nice, though, to go for a couple of days without sweating. Uh, we're very, very blessed to be here. Like she said, my, my wife's here. Uh, nothing? She's not going to talk today. Okay. Cody? No? Okay. Uh, God is good. And I want us to just always remember that. We're going to go through things. And God is going to help us. That doesn't stop things from happening that we consider not cool or that we consider difficult or even tragic. But if you look in the scriptures, this happened. And even, and we're going to read in a minute, <clears throat> Jesus various times said it's difficult. Just life's difficult. I tell people now, because, you know, sometimes people tell you, I just feel like the universe is against me. I think it is. You know, I feel like my life's against me. I feel like this is against me. It might be. But I think what God wants to do is to train us how to be stronger than that. Whatever that is that you're facing, God is trying to help you to become able, better, stronger, faster. And a lot of times I think we give in to it because it's just insurmountable. It's just too much. It's just what does God expect out of me? God expects a lot. He expects us to follow in the footprints of Christ. And I'm looking at Christ's life and I'm like, yeah, no, I don't think I can do that. But I believe that God wants us to. He wants us to give it our best shot. And then he wants us to let grace fill in the gaps where we just can't. But what I don't believe is we're just supposed to just relax in grace. Like, just chill, let grace cover it. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's cool. And so I actually get people tell me, I think you talk about works a lot. I do. But I'm not talking about works of the law. Paul taught us that the works of the law isn't how we get to salvation. But it does, it's, let's, let's use the word effort. It's going to take a lot of effort to get where we want to be in God. It's going to take a lot of effort for us to learn how to be sons and daughters of God. It's going to take a lot of effort in, in, in passing through resistance and in, in breaking down barriers and <clears throat> tearing down the things in your life that you have against yourself. Because we all carry uh, a part of the curses that came upon the first people messing up, we still carry a piece of that. And I believe that through Christ, we can defeat it. But I don't think it's going to be easy. 
I don't think you're just going to wake up one day and you no longer have a temper, if that's your thing. That's one of mine. I just get mad really easily. And then I don't want to let it go. But when you recognize that is not one of the fruits of the Spirit, because if you look in Galatians chapter 5, anger and wrath and rage, they fall under a different category. That's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the works of the flesh. And when you begin to understand that, like, hey, most of my attributes are in the wrong list. You have to begin to then, and that's why I say it's going to take effort. Because I don't think that you could just be like, well, you know, that's just who I am. That's not going to fix it. We have to wake up each day with the purpose of today. I'm not going to let anger have a hold of me or whatever it is that you're facing. That's you. And then you have the outside things and then you have the spiritual things and then you have the natural things. It's just like there's so many things that we have to face each day. You have to go, uh, most of you, some of you today, but most of you tomorrow, you have got to get up and you know you got to go to work or you got to go to school in order to pay the rent or in order to get a career where you can pay the rent or in order to learn how to be a doctor to save people. You're... Your desire to be a doctor has to be accompanied with a lot of work. You don't just wake up and say, you know what, I want to be a doctor, and then just go start cutting on people. Please don't. It takes 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 15 years of training, depending on what, which path you're taking, just before we'll let you. Even wear the coat. It's, it's a lot. And that doesn't, we're not doing that because we're against you. And I say we because please don't cut me if you don't know how. We don't want you to do that until you're ready. Until your actual actions will be a benefit. And I believe in the kingdom of God, it's the same. Do you want eternal life? I mean, I hope that part of your coming to church is that I'm trying to figure out eternal life. How do I get to eternal life? Because uh, I've been told before that we're already in eternal life, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know about that. I woke up this morning, I didn't feel very eternal. <laughs> Maybe you feel great every day. I don't. I've passed 50 now, apparently. That's one of the markers where you start feeling like this isn't an eternal body. Uh, if you will, let's go to uh, Mark <clears throat> chapter 10. We're just really blessed to be able to come back and see you again. It's, it's always just fun for us. I know that probably a lot about the city that you live in, you don't care for, but we don't get to see it. We live in the trees, and you probably want to see the trees, and so I'll swap with you for a couple days. Uh, but every time we come here, we enjoy it, and uh, different ones of you have taken us to find some very fine food, and we found some on the street, too. That's, it's just amazing here, y'all. Y'all have so much at your fingertips, and... 
You know, like today, I didn't have to do anything except wait outside, and a car came and picked us up. So thank you for that. And that's just like, that doesn't happen where we are. You can hit your Uber up all day. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. You can desire McDonald's or ramen or whatever it is you desire. Not going to happen. But it's also very wonderful. So each place has its cool features. Uh, sometimes I get in areas where there's no cell phone coverage and that may, not, that may be an atrocity to you, but sometimes I like my phone to not be able to speak to me. Because most of the calls I get, it's like, hey, can you fix this? I don't want to, but yeah, I can. Uh, so sometimes we get out in the woods far enough, there's no cell coverage, and I'll just stop the truck and be like, thank you, God. <laughs> I know when I hit coverage again, it's going to be like, ding, 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 ding. It's okay. We get a few minutes of peace. I probably can't find that spot here in New York. I think you could say that there's not one square foot of New York City that's without coverage. So you guys are just going to have to turn it off when you don't want to hear it. Or, oops, I left it at home. But then you can't get your Uber, so it's kind of a problem. <sighs> You're enslaved to your device now. I am too, but... Mine just runs out of signal sometimes. I'd like to start off with a story that we were just told. Uh, my wife and I went up in the mountains a couple weeks before we came out of Mexico. And we met a guy. He's probably close to our age. And his dad had just, they had just buried his dad recently. I don't know how long ago, just a few months ago. But he wasn't torn up about it. And I was like, man, that is weird. When your dad dies, you, normally you would seem more distraught than he was acting. Uh, but he said that his dad was on his deathbed. It basically stopped responding. He couldn't talk really or move or eat or drink or anything. And he was, he was of age that we consider as okay to let people go. I think he was in his 80s, and so it's normal. Uh, when can you normalize death? I don't know, but we have a range. You know, someone's 20, we say, oh, that was too soon. Yes, but when they're 80 and on up, we're like, mm, okay. We're not happy with it, but it's, it's normal. And so this was a normal passing. And he said his dad was just lying on the bed. The family was gathered together. They were waiting for him to pass on. And they were, most of them were believers, so they're praying and just, just waiting. And then he said his dad started like grimacing and making noises of pain and just like, ah, ah. And he hadn't said anything or done anything for a day or two. And he's like, man, that's weird. There, there's concern, making sure he's okay. And, and then all of a sudden he started singing. And they're like, okay, things just got a little weirder. And then his dad like, comes to, he wakes up, he couldn't speak well because he hadn't spoken in, in days and he was still not well, but he, he was able to convey what he was trying to say. And he told them that he was lying upon the bed and some angels came and pulled him up out of his body and began to take him somewhere. And they brought him to where he could see 
the edges of hell. And he said that from a distance of hundreds of meters away, he was already burning. And that's when he started having the sounds of pain. And he said the angel told him, you're going to go back and I want you to tell them that hell is real. And I was like, I needed that. I needed someone to have gone out and come back and tell us, yes, it's real. Because sometimes we have doubts. And God will help us through these doubts. And he will show someone and that someone tells us and we're like, okay, got it. I'm remembering now while we're doing church. We don't want to go there. But then they brought him to another place and it was a field of flowers. And the flowers began to sing. And that's when he began to sing. I, I was wondering why flowers sing too, but it's okay. If we get there and the flowers are singing, I'm okay with that. I just want to be in that place. I'll take whatever features they have. <laughs> and then they showed him across the way, there, were, there was like a town or a city, and there were houses, and they said, we're not going to take you to there yet, but your house is in that group of houses. You have a house there. They said, we want you to go back first and tell the people the heaven is real, the hell is real. And I was like, that's very cool. That is very kind of the Lord to let someone go and see and come back as an eyewitness and tell us, hey, just if you're wondering, it's real. The one place you don't want to be is real and the one place you do want to be is real. And, and it's, it really is that simple. The, the concept is that simple. The putting it into practice, the application is not simple. If anyone's ever convinced you that the gospel is simple, yeah, I'm sorry. That's not how it is. It's really complicated. But the idea of the gospel is simple. And what Jesus did made it a lot better. It made it to where we don't have to go to Jerusalem three times a year, thankfully, and sacrifice cows and stuff. I don't, I don't want to do that. And then we went up the hill the next day and we met a grandma. She's also, I think, 85. And she was eating with us and just happy and alive for, for 85. And they looked at me and they said, this sister was on her deathbed a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, really? Because it doesn't look like it. What happened? Now I'm interested. And she had gotten to the same place where she could no longer respond. She wasn't eating or drinking and, and they were just waiting for her to pass. And our pastor went up there to see her and he saw her in the condition and the, most of her relatives are not believers and so they weren't really showing up because there's sometimes strife when you get born again with the people who are not. And we don't want that, but it happens. And so there weren't very many people there and so the believers said, well, let's sing. They didn't know what else to do. What, what do you do when you're sitting in the room waiting for someone to die? That's kind of awkward, right? I mean, how do you say that in a way that's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's normal. Just waiting on grandma to die. There's just no way to make that not uncomfortable. And so they said, let's, let's sing. And they sang for a while. And then they said, let's pray for a while. And then they said, let's sing again. And then they prayed again. So they were there for a couple hours. And they said, all right, let's go. 
And they knew that at any moment they were going to get a text message or something saying that grandma died, please come help us with the, the burial and all that. Because they don't have too many funeral homes out in the mountains. They, they take care of it themselves. And so the community gets involved with that. And just it, that part's beautiful. The culture in that is beautiful because it does bring people together. And so that's what they were waiting for. They're like, all right, we did our singing and praying and singing and praying, and we sat with the family a while, and now we'll come back and help them when, when the time comes, because what else can you do? But the call never came, the call never came, and it was like a day or two later, all of a sudden they get a, a call, hey, come up here and see Grandma. And, and they were thinking, obviously, that it was time to bury Grandma. And when they got there, Grandma wasn't laying in the bed dead. She was alive and eating. And they said, okay, what, what happened? Like, this isn't normal. It's like we try to have faith when we pray for people that are sick or when we pray for God to do something, but then when God does it, you realize that you really did have a lot of unbelief because you didn't expect it to happen. You prayed for it to happen, and then when it happens, you're like in shock, like, oh, she was supposed to die. But weren't you praying for her to live? Yeah, but I, I didn't really believe it was going to happen. And, 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 you know, and that is a lack of faith. And it is doubt. And, and it is all that. But sometimes God's like, I, I hear you. And, and that's the only way I know how to say it, is sometimes God takes the little bit of faith that we had and he shoves away the doubt that we had and he works anyway. And I don't know how to make that happen every time. And if I ever do, I'm going to be very happy. Because, as you well know, it's difficult to get everyone healed that you pray for. I don't know how many people you pray for, but I pray for a lot. And some get healed. I wouldn't even say the majority get healed. And maybe you don't want to hear that from the guy preaching. But I think that we need to be real. And understand that we're not amazing all the time. And I don't know that God gives a trophy to everybody that shows up. I know we like that nowadays, but that's not real. Like I said, it takes a bit more. It takes a bit more effort. It takes a bit more commitment. It takes a bit more of you sacrificing yourself. Sometimes we get mad at the church, whatever church that be, because we feel like they're asking us to do something we don't want to do. And that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you a path. And when you're walking on that path, you're going to wake up one day and realize, I've had to sacrifice a lot. And nobody made me do it. I had to do it because I figured out that this is what it would take. Like I said, in order to become a doctor, if you want to become a doctor, no one's forcing you to do that. You chose to do that. And all the suffering and all the sleepless nights, because you're reading these, my cousin's a doctor and he would share with me when he was in school the thick books that he would have to read. And he would go to school and then get home, eat, and then he was in the books until midnight, one, two o'clock in the morning to get ready to school the next day. And I know that whatever field you chose, it was probably similar. You probably had thick books to read and then Half the time, they didn't even talk about the thick book you wrote. You read it, and apparently for no reason, but it was for a reason, so that you're familiar with whatever field that you're in. 
You need the information. They don't need the information. And they test you on the stuff that they feel like you very, very much need to know. But this other stuff they had you do, you also need to know. But it's, it may be less important, but it's just a couple points less. And I believe that in God, it's like that. It requires something from us. It's not payment, just like it ain't payment for you to learn how to be a doctor. It's you trying to develop your brain and your abilities to the point where you can actually be a help. And I think that's what it's gonna take for us to advance in the kingdom of God. We can't do it without Christ. So don't think that I'm saying that we, we got this, we can do this, we don't need him. No, no. What we need to do is get to know him. And what we need to do is get our ears open to where we can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can tell you what is the next step for you to do. And so it's not possible without God, but it's also not possible without you wanting to do it. God is not gonna force you to do it. You have to look at him. You have to say, what is your will? I would like to be a part of that. And he says, okay, sign the terms and conditions. And you get locked in, but you did it. You hit okay. There's a lot of fine print. So what happened was, is the lady was dying, grandma, and she was just laying there and she said she could vaguely hear the people praying and seeing, singing. She said she was just kind of about to go. She was just at that point where her hearing and just her awareness of the room was fading. And she said she heard them singing. She heard them praying. She heard them singing. And then she said she heard like a noise or she noticed over in the corner of the room. And when she pointed over there, it, it was like a place in the room that was full of shelves and boxes. So like nobody could be standing there, but she said there were four beings standing over there. And, you know, it had to be angels or something. And she said, as they sang the second time, one of them just looked at her and did this. And they disappeared and she wakes up. So I guess they had come to retrieve her, ever how that happens. I'm not gonna begin that teaching because I don't know, but you hear about it a lot. Where would someone die? Someone will see an angel, carry him off. That's cool, but these guys had come to get her to wherever she's going, and then something happened during the singing and the praying and the singing and the praying that they realized, or they got the order that okay, we're not doing that today. And they just waved at her and just vanished. And then she kind of comes to an hour or two later. The, the, our pastors had left and she wakes up and looks at her daughter and says, where are they? She's like, who? Those guys that were standing there in the corner of the room. And she points over there, but it was just a uh, like a storage part of the room. Nobody could stand there. There's no room to stand. And she was like, no, they were right there. And her daughter, of course, thought she was kind of losing the touch. And she was. She was not in the same reality we are. She was seeing in the spirit. And so that's when the next day, the pastors get a call and they're like, hey, do you know who those four guys were? And he was like, no, but that's really cool. So God's moving is my point. God is actively moving now. 
Because this didn't happen 18 years ago. It happened last year. And we just now got in this year, so that's not too long ago. God is moving on earth right now. And what I want us to do, what I want me to do, and what I try to focus on every day is I want to get me tuned in to that. What does that look like? In, in the effort that I'm talking about, you, you want for me to tell you what that is, and I can't. Because I think God has individual plans for each person. I think that's how smart God is. I'm not. I can most of the time remember my two kids' names. And sometimes I get them backwards. And they get frustrated at me. That's where we are. But God has, I believe, a plan. And he looks at you. And you, when you open your heart to him and you say, what does this person need? And he'll go, hmm, yeah, you need to do this. Because he sees where our flaws are. He sees where our strengths are. He sees where our abilities are. He sees what level we have in authority. He's, he knows everything about you. And when we call attention to ourselves and just like, okay, what is it going to take for me to continue forward? He's got the answer for you. And I want to talk about the rich young guy today. We all know the story, I think. But it's cool to me to, to remind ourselves sometimes. I've probably read the Bible 30 times in my life. I don't know how many times. I didn't write it down. Maybe 40. And then right now we're going through it again. We're listening to it on audio. And my wife and I are doing it together. And as we're listening, when we hear something that catches one of our attention, we pause we talk about it. We, we, we bring up other verses. We're, we're, we're trying to learn again. And I don't think you'll ever get to the bottom of the Bible. From what I'm seeing of the scriptures, every time I read it or listen to it, it's like it has new content in it. It doesn't, but it's like maybe it gets revealed to you every time you read it. And as you mature in Christ, he like releases things that maybe you weren't ready for or couldn't understand because Jesus various times it says that he wouldn't speak in a certain way to people because they weren't going to be able to to get it and so if, as you're reading the scriptures don't ever think well I already read Jonah so I already know what it says read it again and you'll find that hey when did they talk about that I don't remember that scene it's it's like that through the whole scripture it's new the word of God is living it's one of the only if maybe the only book on earth that is living. It's, it's a living thing. And I don't know how to say that any other way except for that. We don't worship it, but it is alive in a sense. And so when you read it, it it's coming to you. And knowledge will all of a sudden pop in your head and you're like, whoa. Or you'll see it from a different side or the, a different concept will come into your heart. And so I would, I'm on a, I guess a quest to get everyone to read the scriptures again. And if you haven't ever really read the whole thing because you read the book of Mark and that's all you got, uh, there's a lot more. There's prequels and sequels and everything. It's all in there. It's really cool. It's, it's in depth. And there's parts of it you're not going to like. It's, that's okay. There's verses I don't like. That's the word of God. Yeah, I don't like it. 
like you don't like broccoli. It's good for you, but you don't like it. Should you eat it? Yes. That's, some, that's the only way I know because we, we kind of put the Bible like up into a place where it's not usable. It's a tool to be used that God gave us. You should be opening it up and moving it around and trying to figure it out. It's not as simple as you think. And, and so every time I read the stories that Jesus told and Isaiah told and Job, Job, there's a good one there. I can't ever figure out which one's the good guy and which one's the bad guy. Because sometimes Job's talking and I'm like, I don't, I don't really agree with you there, buddy. And then his friend's talking and I'm like, yeah, I think he makes sense. But then Job comes back and I'm like, no, now, yeah, okay, I got, I got you, I hear you. And by the time you get to the end, it's really, you're, you're torn up. And then God starts talking, and he just blows them all away. So I, take, I like to start Job in chapter 40, <laughs> where God starts talking because it just feels like he knows what he's talking about. Like the other guys get me confused, and God's like, hey, were you there when I made the ostrich egg? No, sir, I was not. I don't know what that means, but I wasn't. And he said, when I was gathering up the frost in my warehouse, I'm like, is that how it happens? Like, what are you talking about? Because we tend to compare science and God, and we tend to believe science over what someone wrote 4,000 years ago. And, and I'm, sometimes I'm like finding myself torn. Because it's like, well, the Bible says this, but science says this. And, <sighs> Did we misunderstand the ancient text or does science have it wrong <gasps> you know and it's easy to say that science has it wrong it's hard to prove that though and so oh we find ourselves a lot of times in these pickles or in a catch-22 or in a place where you don't know and I believe that that's where we can grow I believe we should try to learn how to trust in God, but I don't think he ever expected us to just blindly just be like, yep, okay, that's how it is. Because Paul told, I think it was Timothy, he said to be able, be able to give an answer to those who would ask you a question about your faith. Because sometimes when people ask us the tricky questions, because they study us, especially people in the colleges you go to, and universities, they study ways to counteract us because they want to believe in atheism which is not really a thing. You can't believe in something that doesn't exist. They want to not believe in anything, and so they want to help you to be able to not believe in anything. And we need to be able to, in a kind and loving way, show them why we have faith and then let them decide whether they want to have faith. It's, 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 it's that way. You need to know the material. So as you're learning life and as you're getting going with all this stuff, you also need to be very proficient in the things of God. And Jesus found a guy that was. And in verse 17, Mark 10, 17, it says, as G I'm reading out of the New Living. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question. And I'm glad that he asked that question. I'm glad that question is in the scriptures because I have that question. 
I believe that the reason why there's questions like this were recorded is so that someone like me, who has many questions, would be like, oh, yes, there's a good one. I would have asked that if I were there. Okay, what's the answer? That's how you need to view the scriptures. But Jesus always had a plot twist. He never could just straight up answer like, yes. <laughs> Lord, is this? Yes. No, I don't think one time did he answer with just a simple yes. Even, Lord, are you hungry? I have food that you know not of. <laughs> Dude. And I'm not talking flippantly about the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, but at the same time, when you're walking around here, you're eating like I'm eating, you sleep all the time. I'm just wanting to know if you want a taco, okay? I don't, this wasn't spiritualized. This taco, taco, okay? Taco Tuesday. Do you want a taco? Well, buddy, I was talking to this lady by the well, and now I'm not hungry anymore. <sighs> that doesn't make any sense. Most of the time, Jesus left it at that. He's just, he would say something like that and then just walk <laughs> off. And Peter's like, how am I supposed to learn this kingdom of heaven stuff if he keeps doing that? It does not recorded that he said that, but I'm pretty sure he did. As Jesus was, he's, he's about to take off from wherever he was. If somebody comes running up to him, I want eternal life. What do I need to do? Super question. I love this question because we, we don't want to go to hell. We want to go to heaven. That's the main question. That's what we should be asking ourselves. Am I still on the path? And you may assume, well, I came to church, so yes. <sighs> not sure. And I'm not trying to put doubt in your head, even though I am wanting you to question. I want us to make sure that we're right, always. Because the path is difficult. It's not a, well, dude, I said the prayer and I got water baptized. I'm good. Mm, not really. Well, what else do I lack? Okay, let's look. Jesus, plot twist, why do you call me good? Jesus asks. Only God is truly good. And he's like, dude, really? I, that's not even what... <sighs> okay. I won't call you good anymore, but what about this eternal life thing? That's how I would have felt. I have no idea how this rich young guy felt, but when I read the story, I try to put myself there. What would I have thought if I started a conversation? You finally get two minutes with the Lord, and you're like, I don't even know how to approach him. Good teacher. Dude, don't call me good. Not the point. I want eternal life. What is that? Okay. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. Check. You must not commit adultery. Check. You must not steal. Check. You must not testify falsely. Check. You must not cheat anyone. Check. Honor your father and mother. Check. He's like, all right, cool. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Finally, finally, Jesus met somebody that had a somewhat of an idea of the beginning things. 
And I say the beginning things because Jesus then went on to add more. But, like, I don't think you can expect to get to heaven just because you didn't murder someone. But it's a good start. And once you've gotten born again, if you murder someone, you're back to square one. You just broke a big one. You've just taken your life and back to level one. And so Jesus gave the guy just a synopsis, just a, here's some things that can hinder your eternal life. And, and I've, I look at these sometimes and I'm like, okay, okay, good, good, good. We're, we're good. When you wake up each day, do a little checklist. Did I murder anyone yesterday? Uh, don't. Nope, didn't murder anyone. But it gets complicated. Because like I said, Jesus is all about plot twists. Because in a different part of the scriptures, Jesus began to explain to us that if we're angry at someone without a true cause, not whatever's in your head that made it justified, a true cause, something that God would be like, yeah, I would get mad about that too. If you get mad at someone without cause, Jesus said, you're just like the murderer. It's the same thing. Ah. So when you go through your checklist in the morning, did I murder someone yesterday? It's not, did you actually like, it's were you angry at them without a justifiable reason? Okay, only three times, Lord, yesterday. Okay, can we work on it? So then you got to work, you know, do you hear what I'm saying? Everything has these layers going on. So you can't just stand before the Lord and say, look, I never stabbed or shot anybody. But what if he tells you, yeah, but the way you treated that person stopped them from going to church for seven years. Oh, I did do that. And we can't fix it at that point. But when can we fix it? Today. We need to live our life in such a way that eternity is like, you can't live each day without thinking about it. It's that important. It's that big. It should be the consuming thing. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. And, and all these things shall be added to you. What things? Food, drink, clothes, shelter, just, you know, small stuff. Think of today. If we didn't have shelter today, problem. If it was May or June, not so much. But right now, it's 20 degrees outside. If we didn't have shelter, we would have a problem. If we didn't have heat in our cars, we would be in a problem. And Jesus said, don't worry about it. Um, I do, though. When I stepped out of the hotel this morning, I was like, wow, I'm so thankful I had a hotel that... Because yesterday, near the hotel, there was a guy in his, with his bag and big old beard, and he looked like he didn't have a hotel. And, and you worry about the people, because people do die that are in his condition. And you're, he had food. I, was, I saw his bag. He had some apples and different things. And I was like, man, you know, what, what do you do? Are we responsible for him? I don't even know how many of hymns there are in New York City, but there's a lot. It's a thing in America right now. The homeless situation is big. And are we responsible for that? Most of the time, we just, in our minds, we, we look for peace 
and, and we just kind of, we don't want to think about those kind of things. But I'm wondering if eternal life is connected with some of these things. I'm not saying we're directly responsible for everyone's well-being. What I'm saying is, let's be aware and let's listen to the Holy Spirit and see what God has to say. So Jesus is feeling this really cool feeling, just a genuine love for this man because he found someone who wasn't just breaking the rules. He found someone who seemed like that he had a heart to be holy and to try to be righteous and, and now he's asking the question, what do I need to do to have eternal life? What, what would I need to do to get eternal life? And Jesus was like, yes, I finally found somebody. He had 12 dudes following him that he didn't say that about because they were, I would have picked one of them, to be honest. I've, I've looked at it and I've, I've tried to figure out who these guys were, what the Bible says about them. And I'm up to one that I would pick. The rest of them, they, they wouldn't get to make the Jody team. They had issues. One of them was a, an assassin. You know, he's out. I don't want an assassins on my team. Uh, you know, maybe we'll let them come to church, but, you know, they don't get to play the keyboard because that's promoting the wrong idea that, you know, you can be in this church and be an assassin. We, we have an image to uphold. And Jesus was like, hey, you, you're on the team, buddy. Lord, no. And yes, who am I to say that? I'm nobody in, in, in that sense of being able to tell Jesus what to do, but I'm like, now is he going to expect me to let an assassin be on the team? Are we going to pick the assassin to come? Yeah, come on, let's go on a trip together. Let's. How's that working? Those kind of things that Jesus did worry me. Because I feel like to now follow in his footsteps means I got to be open to that. So Jesus told him, though, there is still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Ouch. And I'm really trying to believe that Jesus meant that for that guy. You know, like, like I said, it's a case-by-case case deal. Thankfully, the Lord hasn't told me to sell everything I have and give my, all the money away to somebody else and just be broke and follow Jesus. I don't believe that it was meant for all of us, but I do think it's an option that we should be open to. My point isn't that I'm asking you to sell your possessions. and It would have really been like we could have really seen through Jesus' situation if he had said, go sell your possessions and bring the money to my ministry and the Lord will bless you tenfold. You know, that would have been something you see on TV today. That's not what Jesus said. He said, sell your possessions, go give it to somebody, and then let's go. See, Jesus wasn't benefiting out of this decision. The man was. 
And there's going to be times where the Lord's going to ask you to do something that you feel is impossible. I don't know what that is. He didn't know what that is. Jesus was looking at him. Okay, you're not killing people. You got control of your temper. No adultery. Okay. Mom and dad, y'all doing good. Okay. You're not stealing stuff. Okay. But he found in the spirit what this dude's blockage was. It was the thing that was standing between him and eternal life. And it was his things. That was that, guys. For some people, it's other things. It's, it's, that's a case-by-case case deal, I think. But when Jesus told this guy that, he, he knew that Jesus hit it right on the head. Like, he felt it immediately. His, his face fell. His, his countenance changed. He's like, oh, dude, you, we were doing so good, too. Like, yeah, I'm not killing people. I'm faithful. He just walked off. And as I think about this story, I'm like, what point, what would God be able to tell me that he wants me to do? This is your next step. This is the next thing that's in the progression of your life that you need to get rid of this before we can move forward. At what point are we going to have to look at the Lord and say, I can't do that? And I like to think about that in my life. Is there something that God would, would reveal to me that he needs me to do or he would allow me to go through to where I'm like throwing in the towel? This is, you've gone too far. Because if you ask someone in a real way, not in a, some spiritual ethereal way, way out there in the mystics, what would, what's the value of eternal life? Like how much is eternal life worth? Nations have been destroyed looking for relics. And uh, here in America, the Spaniards came looking for the fountain of youth, killing everybody in the way. Because if that were true, if there were a, a fountain of water that you could drink from and be immortal, they thought it was worth it to kill everybody to get there. It was worth a lot, in other words. The idea that there might be a place where you could get eternal life was enough to destroy nations. It wasn't even, it never turned out to be a real thing. They never found the fountain of youth. But the idea that there could be water somewhere on the planet that would allow you to live forever, they were just plowing through. They were willing to do it, and their, their own people were dying, and everybody was dying. Very few people even survived the trip. I think we don't have that passion because in the, in the scriptural way to get to eternal life, it's not about killing people. It's the opposite. It's about trying to save as many people as we can save. But I don't think we, we try to put a value on eternal life. Like comparing it to if the Lord, you're praying one day and you're like, Lord, what's the thing that right now today is blocking me? What if the Lord told you to not drink coffee? That's not the same thing as selling all and giving to the poor, but for some people... It's right there. <laughs> and I'm not telling you don't drink coffee. I had some while ago. I don't even know if I broke the rules or not, if I'm allowed to have coffee in here. But thank you all for letting me. Because coffee is necessary and amazing. <laughs> what kind of coffee do you like? All of it. 
I like from airplane coffee to the $50 a cup coffee, which I don't buy. Someone bought it for me. Later, I didn't want to drink it because it, never mind. You probably know what I'm talking about. It's from Indonesia. It's not church subject. That coffee you shouldn't drink because for personal reasons. But any other coffee, there's one in Kenya too that you should stay away from. See, I know too much about coffee. Uh, my daughter is getting married in March to a young man, Josiah. Y'all, most of y'all know him, and he's helping his dad run a coffee farm. So through them, I'm gaining more knowledge of coffee <laughs> and more free coffee <laughs> because we're friends, so they have to give me free coffee. <laughs> but what if the Lord, you're in your prayers, and the Lord says to you, give up coffee. And you're like, oh, that's a tough one. Okay. And then you're praying and the Lord, like a few months later, he's like, good job. Good job, Lily. Um, you need to give up TV or I don't know what. TikTok. Okay. And, and something that just hit your head that for you is like, just really enjoy it. It's something that I do. What if it's your career? What if God's like, you are no longer going to be a doctor. Now we're going to go be a lawyer. And you're like, Lord, that's going to take another four or five years to train. I'm not. I'm not. <sighs> and, and I don't know why he would do that. But if the Lord tells people to do strange stuff, to, to, to get us in the slot where he needs us to be to fulfill his plan and our destiny. And everyone around you is going to think you're crazy. This man, had he done what Jesus said, his mom and dad would have had a fit because they invested a lot into him to get him to the point where he had the businesses going and he had the properties and he had a lot of possessions. His dad would have probably disowned him because you, you could have just given it back. You sold it and then you just gave it all away. What is wrong with you? That's not what happened. But if it would have, it would have caused the guy a lot of trouble. When we step truly into the kingdom of heaven, it, it generates trouble. Many times you see the trouble before you see the victory, before you see the blessing, before you see the destiny. You see the trouble and you have to sacrifice. Jesus looked around, verse 23, and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. Now, case in point, there's a verse I don't like. I don't like that at all. I want the Bible to say it is very easy to get into the kingdom of God. But our general idea of getting into the kingdom of God, we have made it easy to get in, in our heads. We have decided that, say in the sinner's prayer, which I'm not against, it's not really taught in the scriptures, but I think it's a cool concept, it's an idea, it's a moment where you know what happened. You were water baptized, you were filled with the Spirit, it's, that's enough 
How much does the Lord want out of me? I, I can tell you what he wants. He wants all. The number one commandment that Jesus said, this one made the top one. Love the Lord your God with all. Your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What else is you? That might sound like bad grammar, but I think it's the right way to say it. What more than those four things, all of those, is, is I don't think there's anything left of you. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. That covers the basis of what makes human being. We've, we've, oh, all, he wants all. What does all look like? I don't have the ability to tell you what all looks like for you. Religion will try to tell you what that looks like. I'm not. All means what you and God get together and you and him are in a, in a negotiation. You and him are in communication. The peace talks. Because we come from the kingdom of darkness and Colossians said that the father wants to translate us into the kingdom of his dear son. He's miraculously moving us from one place to the other. In the meantime of the moving, he's trying to prepare us for when we land in the kingdom of his son because there you can't be murdering people. If you're going to stay in the kingdom of his son, there's no murder. There's no adultery. There's no thieving. There's no lying. There's no defraud. There's none of those things are allowed there. So I can't allow that to be in me. And so what Jesus was trying to do with this young man is get all of him. It is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. I can't think of a way to make that sound pleasant. So when people ask us all the time, because my dad started it in our family before him, I don't remember hearing anyone speak of it, but he does a lot of fasting a lot, way too much, because I keep trying to tell him, Dad, food tastes good. You should try it sometime, because he just doesn't eat very much, and I'm frustrated about that, because I like to eat, you can tell. I do fast, too. I don't think I fast as much as my dad, but I'm, I think I'm going to try to go there. You know what I mean? Not because he told me to, though, because then I don't want to. <laughs> what, are you a teenager? Just barely not. I'm 51, so I'm still young. But those, the thing that makes a teenager a teenager, you never really lose that. You just mask it. You comply, but it's a surface thing only, because inside you're always going to think the same thing. But people ask us about fasting, and they want to know how you fast. No, we're not going to give you that. When Jesus talked about fasting, he never commanded people to fast. You know how the wording is? When Jesus talked about fasting, he never said, I want you to fast. No, he said, when you fast, do it this way. And don't do these things. He said, when you pray. He expects us to do it. He didn't give us 18 steps on fasting. He just said, when you fast, don't make a big deal about it. Don't go outside with your hair all messed up. You know, just kind of. <laughs> and your, what are those britches you have called? The fluffy pants Cody wears on. Hmm? 
sleeping pajamas, but they're fluffy. I can't bring myself to that. I can't do it. We saw a guy the other day at a hotel at the breakfast because I was eating. And what was the character he was? It wasn't Sonic. It was a Care Bear suit on. A grown man older than me with the Care Bear suit on and a hat, and he was just eating his pancakes happily. And I was like, I don't think I could do that. I don't even own that. So I, I was just kind of admiring him, his bravery to be out in public. And his friend was sitting across the table, and he's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, we're all now involved in this conversation because we're all interested. But his friend wasn't real quiet about it. He goes, dude, what are you doing? He goes, I'm eating breakfast. He goes, if I had one of those and I was in my hotel room, I would pull the shades. He says, no one will see me if I have that. And his, the guy was just like, so? He went out to his car. He was everywhere. I was like, wow. So the point being is Jesus doesn't want you showing up to work in your PJs. Like, no hair. And people are like, what's wrong? I'm fasting. It's, no. He's like, get yourself ready. Wash your face, anoint, comb your hair. If you're a lady, put your makeup on. If you're a dude, please don't. <laughs> I'm a little old school in that. I don't think dudes should wear makeup. I think ladies can or can't. It's up to y'all. It's fine. If you feel like you need it, it's okay. But do that when you're fasting. Act like it's a normal day, in other words. That was the main rule Jesus said, is don't make this a public thing that you're, hey, guys, I'm fasting. When you know you get invited to coffee and, and everyone else is eating a bagel with cream cheese on it and you're just over there in tears. <laughs> and your friends are like, hey, you, you're not hungry? Yes, I'm very hungry. <laughs> well, what's the matter? You just have an infused water. I'm fasting. Y'all, please pray for me. That's not what fasting's about, is you making a spectacle of yourself. The fast is between you and God alone. And so if you ask me, how do you fast? I'm like, you just don't eat. And how long is that? Ever how long you and God talked about it? It's really flexible. There's no rules that a fast means you have to fast for 92 days or the Lord isn't even going to look at you. He starts with the minute you'd look at him and say, Lord, I'm going to skip breakfast for a few days. He's like, cool, thank you. That's how the Lord is. He receives it. He receives anything. He said, a glass of water that you give someone in the name of a prophet, you will never leave, you lose your reward. It starts with the simple deals. But I'm convinced, and I've been telling people, just as a warning, the small print's there. You start with a glass of water, it's the gateway. Like they talk about drugs, there's gateway drugs. When you step into the Lord and you begin to sing songs like we sang earlier, like, Lord, I love you and I want to do stuff for you. He's like, Really? You do? Well, we have plans. <laughs> Be careful what you're singing, because the Lord's listening, and he's like, oh, yes, a whole room of them. Yes. <laughs> and I think that sometimes we do that, and then we don't follow up, and he's like, oh, I had such hopes, too. 
And so that gets sad. But let's don't make him sad. Let's, let's step into it. I tell people all the time, please don't pray for the world. And everybody's like, no, that's what you have to, you have to pray, the global mission. Okay, do y'all know how awesome Jesus was? Does anybody? Like we think we have an idea and I think it's even greater than anything we can imagine. But the way it's describing him, like John talked about at the end of the Gospel of John, it says, if I had written about everything that Jesus did, I suppose that even the world couldn't contain the books. Like what Jesus actually did in the flesh, in the, in the, in the mental health of the world, in the spirit, it's just so much that there wasn't enough books that could be written about it. Jesus was that amazing. That guy said, I do not pray for the world. It's too, like we can't, it's too broad of a focus. You're not gonna get it. Like how can we think about the world? Like, you know how we are. For a few months, we were all about the Ukraine and Russia fighting. Ukraine and Russia, we're like, oh, this many people died. And then Israel and Gaza started fighting. Does anybody know anything about Ukraine and Russia anymore? No. Because we don't have the capacity to, to, to dwell upon more than one war at a time. But from what I understand, there's like 27 wars going on right now. Right now, today. 27 places on earth where people are shooting at each other. And I only, I'm trying to figure out who's the good guy and who's the bad guy between Israel and Gaza. And sometimes I think about Russia and Ukraine, and I'm like, no, really, but who's, who is the bad guy and the good guy? Because I've heard multiple stories. And are they all bad? Are they all good? Are they? <sighs> but I can't think about the world. like. And so what I want us to do is focus on, like, do some bite-sized stuff first. And let's get proficient. Like someone will walk up to you and they're in a situation and maybe their mom just got diagnosed with something and, and they say, will you pray for my mom? And we say, yes. yes. And then we do one time, a 30 second, we toss a note up to heaven and it's gone. Because we checked the box mentally. We didn't mean to, but when you prayed that one time, and now I've prayed. And we don't really think about it again. And the mom is still in the hospital with a tumor. And it needs our attention. It needs our focus. It needs us to do more than a 30-second. We shot off an email to heaven and, man, I did my part. Did we? And what does the Lord want you to do in that situation? And that's the kind of thoughts I want you to start having. What would God, what does God want me to do? And then go past that and say, God, what do you want me to do with my friend's mom's situation? Do I need to do more than what I'm doing? I'm, I'm remembering her every night. I'm, you know, we can get into good habits of the, write it down so we don't forget. And it's not like a list of, and then pray for Bob, and then pray for Susie, and then by the time you get to the end, there's no emotion or faith or anything happening. You're just trying to get to the end of the paper. That's a poor way to pray, but at least we're mentioning it, and at least God's hearing it. I say everything we do is good as long as like that, like prayer and all that. But I want us to focus more. Like what if we actually did pray about your friend's mom? And then what if something started happening? Then your faith would begin to arise. 
But like I said, be careful. If you're a part of getting your friend's mom healed of a tumor and the tumor just vanishes and the doctors are like, we don't know what happened. She had a tumor and now she don't. And you were doing hours of praying about this and then it happened. And then you're excited, but you know who else is excited? God. And he's going to be like, oh, I found somebody that will pray through and get the job done. Then all of a sudden, you get assigned things. And then after, you know, like they say, uh, one thing led to the next, and now you're full-time ministry. But you can't trace the moment when it happened because God is tricking you. He's drawing you in. He's pulling you in just a little bit at a time. He's like, hey, what if we, he likes to start off that. (laughs) He doesn't always use the command form. He's like, touches you. You're in prayer and you feel the Lord's hand touch you. And you're so blessed at the touch that you don't even focus on the next few phrases that he said, hey, what if we did a week fast? Not thinking about, there's not really a we there. It's a me going without eating. (laughs) What if we fasted for a week and what if we really prayed for, for your mom? What if we just didn't go to work for a week and we fasted and prayed? And you're like, come away from the prayer kind of in a daze. I know the Lord just came here, but like, did I just commit to fasting for a week? And not even going to work? What happened? That's how the Lord likes to work with us. He doesn't always just boom down. He just draws us in. And then all of a sudden, like I said, one thing leads to another and you're full time. You're just, you don't even remember when you quit your job. You wake up one day and you're in, you're in the Ukraine. How did this happen? And the Lord's happy. And sometimes you are. Because I don't think the heat works in the Ukraine like it does in New York City. But what I don't want us to do is for the Lord to tell us something and we walk away sad. If you get to the point where you and the Lord are having a conversation... And that's why I say don't, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about something your church does. If your church is going to do a three-day fast, please join. It's cool. That's amazing. That's not what I'm talking about. That's a separate thing. That's a community thing that we decide to do together. What I'm talking about is your walk with the Lord. And I think we need to up the level of that quite a bit. Paul said, forget not the assembly of the saints. Don't forget to come to church. Why would he say that? Do you think it's because they were, you know, doing their marketplace stuff or they were farming or no? I think that Paul was expecting us to be so in love with God that we're doing things with God all the time, that we're going and visiting people and we're just, we're, we're, we're doing prayer nights at the house. We're inviting people over. And he's like, hey, in all of your doings with the Lord, don't forget to get together with everybody. I think it was more of that concept of not that, we're not doing anything with God. Don't forget to come to church. That's the last straw. It, that wasn't the idea that I get from Paul. It was as you're doing life and as you're living with God and as you're doing your week-long fast and as you're doing this, make sure you go to church too. 
Because we can get so busy doing God's stuff that we forget to do the community stuff. The community of believers needs to feel someone who's on fire. Once you get on fire, don't think you're, oh, I outgrew that church. No, you didn't. You left. Well, that was pretty harsh. And I stand by it. When God begins to grow us, we need to infect everyone else with it. You stick right there and it begins to spread because people begin to see, oh, she did a week-long fast and things begin to happen in her life and we begin to believe in the process. And that person sticks around and every time you see them, you see the, the stuff they go through, but you see their spirits never afflicted. Their spirit is strong. And you're like, that's what I'm gonna be in two years. And so you begin to work towards that. And so we need people here in this building that may never stand up here, but that we all know they're solid as a rock. And, and our goal is to get to where they are. And their goal is to get even further. And so it's, it's like we're drawing one another. And then God will show someone, like I said, the, the, the older guy that had the vision of hell and of heaven. And it was a glimpse. It wasn't the full revelation, but it was a glimpse enough. And he was told, tell them. So that I can be reminded it's real. So that us going to church isn't a, just a function that we do. It isn't just something that we went to church this week. I have a reason to come to church this week. I want to know more about this heaven thing. I want to know more about what I'm getting away from and where I'm going towards. I want a, a better understanding of what this is all about. And I want a moment where I'm not worried about the outside world. That's why we worship together. Because we're just taking a moment and opening ourselves up to the spirit and saying, God, touch us. So when Jesus said, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God, we don't need to take that in a way of like, it's going to discourage me. But we need to take that as a reality. This isn't going to be easy. And my expectations, which we've been talking a lot about, many times that you get frustrated with someone or you get angry at someone, it's because you expected here and they delivered here. But you never had a conversation with that person because they never committed to here. If you were to ask them, they were going to always be given this. And if I had communicated that, hey, what are you going to deliver? I'm giving you this. This is the quality you get from me. Okay. Then when they do that, it's okay. It's okay. And what I want us to do is figure out where is God's expectations. Of course, as the body of believers, there's a certain expectation. There's a certain standard. There's things that each church, we get to travel in a lot of churches. Uh, we've started a lot of churches in Mexico and we also have had churches join us in Mexico. We get to travel in America, in Europe, I've been to Africa. And we, you can see that in each church, in each culture, in each different language group and country, the format's slightly different. The overall thing is the same, but it's different dress codes, uh, different rules. Some places we go, I would not have been able to have coffee in here because they don't allow liquids in the building. Okay, that's what you do. Their expectation is here, and so you try your best to do it. 
That's not what I'm talking about. That's us trying to get along with each other. What I'm talking about is where does God expect me to be? And what is, and what is that today? What does it look like today? I want to know the long-term goal that God has for me, and I want to know today's goal. And, and really, if we could get an idea of how to get the steps going towards the long-term goal also. Like, you need to have all this going on in your head. Like I said, this is not just simple. It's not. But it's doable. What Jesus asked the young man to do wasn't impossible. He just didn't want to do it. It was totally doable. He could have done it in two days. It could have been done. But he didn't want to. And I think sometimes we find ourselves in that place where maybe I don't know what God is asking you to do. But you do. And you're just like, ugh. And you're wrestling with this decision. And, and it's not that you can't. You don't want to. And I don't mean that in any condemning way because I don't know you well enough to say that. I don't have any idea what God is where he's at and dealing with you. I just want us to be aware of that. To where, what if God is asking us to do something that to us feels so daunting and so, really? That's what, really, of all the things you could ask me, that's what? And I would ask you to really consider making the decision to, to obey. Because in the end, is eternal life worth it? If in the Bible it had said, in order to gain eternal life, you have to give $10 million to the poor, I think we would be trying. If that was to get, any, to get into heaven, you've got to give $10, $10 million to the poor. I would probably be back to eating the cheap ramen noodles and drinking water and walking so that I could get to the $10 million goal because I want eternal life. I want to live with God for forever. He didn't ask us that. He personalized it. And I'm glad he didn't make us all have to sell everything. <laughs> but it's going to be that committed, I believe. And I believe it's for everyone, not just those who are in ministry. We try to make it sometimes, well, I'm not in ministry. I'm just the lay people, and so I don't have any of these rules on me. Okay, but that may not be true. Because I don't think there's a part of heaven that's for the pastors, and there's a different part of heaven that's it's nice, but you know it's not, it's not five stars, like 4.7 stars. Because I, I think heaven's open. I, don't, I think that what Jesus said is if you humble yourself, it, it, you can be lifted up. And he said later on, I don't remember if it was in Matthew or if it was in Mark, but he said at the end of this story that those who are the greatest will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. Like we get this, we get the levels mixed up and there's people that we believe are just like, wow, oh, they're, so, they're going to be like right beside Jesus and they're, they're standing at the back. And so it's not any of that. It's how true were you to what God wanted. And, and there's no way for, 
for someone like myself to look at someone and say, no, this is what God wants for you. It's just, it's way too complex. It's taking God it's your whole life to get you to where you are. And so me saying six words to you is not going to, oh, oh yeah, I got it now. It's going to take a lot of time and meditating. I've been really looking at Psalm chapter one and it says, delight, he delights himself in the law of the Lord and in his law, he meditates day and night. In Deuteronomy, when the Lord told Moses the, the commandment that, that Jesus liked to repeat when people asked him, what's the biggest rule? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When God said that to Moses in Deuteronomy, he then added, and when you're walking into town, I want you to think about it and talk about it. And when you're at the house, I want you to talk about it. And when you get up in the morning, I want you to talk about it. And when you're lying down to sleep, I want you to be talking about it. It's like... After you read two or three verses of that, you're like, man, that's a lot. That's a lot of time that I need to be talking about and thinking about and meditating on what God is trying to say and do. And we begin to go, well, where's the me time? And I'm here to tell you today, there's not any room for me time. Does that mean we can't go get our nails done? I never do that. No, it doesn't. It just means that to include the Lord in it. Say, Lord, let's go get our nails done. Include him in, in, in that. That's the reason why I say it, they went and got their nails done. Thank you, Miss Esther. So they're pretty now again. It's not wrong to go get a coffee. It's not wrong to do it. It's wrong to do it when you're thinking this is for me and you're not including the Lord and his conversation in it. I think that's why sometimes the Lord asks us to stop something because we weren't including him in it. And he demands all. He wants to encompass you. Whatever is you. Like I say, I don't know if the grammar is right there, but whatever is you, whatever makes you, you, he wants to be a part of the whole thing. There should be nothing that, that is the essence of you that God isn't a part of. And if you begin to think about it right now, you'll probably find some areas where you haven't fully included him in it or devoted it to him or said, Lord, just, yeah, go ahead and be, be Lord of this part of my life too. And I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying that we're just, it's a process and we haven't finished yet. So let's, let's continue forward. Because I believe what the man saw was true. I believe he saw hell and he saw heaven and it was... It was a message for us to remind us that, hey, there's a goal in what you're doing. We're not just going to church. Like you're not, you wake up every day and you brush your teeth, hopefully. But why do you do that? When you got up today and you brushed your teeth, do you even think about why you're brushing your teeth? No. Not, I mean, when I'm brushing them, I'm not like, man, I'm glad I'm going to keep the ones I have. This is so amazing, just doing this right here. I, no, I'm just, now it's just a habit. It's just, okay. And I don't think I ever make to the two minutes that they tell you. Uh, I need to get some of that blue stuff, so you got to brush it till it's gone or something. I, I fail at the two-minute mark. I'm like a minute, 12 seconds. So I get to keep like three-quarters of my teeth, I guess. 
But coming to church can't be like that, where you don't you forget the goal. I'm, not, I'm coming to church. I don't go to hell. Like, whatever. I'm just gonna. Yeah. It's it's not that flippant. We have to be. It's 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 on purpose. You, you're you know what you're doing. I'm coming to church today, and I have a goal today because you and God have been in communication, and He's working with you now on say your pride, or maybe you're envious of your coworkers because someone couple of them got a raise and you didn't and you're just like man they're not that good I'm better than they are and then God's been dealing with you and you have conviction and you come to church this morning you're like Lord all that envy that I was having when I go to church please just help me to just there's a point in coming to church today and the point is to 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 cleanse us and to 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 worship and and to get together with other people and to when someone gets revealed by the Lord, like I have a word of knowledge or something, like, hey, you were dealing with envy this week. You need to chill. And you're like, how does he know? Because God loves you is why he knows. And so when someone comes to you with a word like that and it hits you where it hurts, don't get mad at them. Say, thank you. Thank you. I'm, yes, I am dealing with that. And pray for me because I want to be better. Like that's where humility comes in is just saying, yeah, I, 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 you got me. Or someone comes to you and like, hey, I heard you lost your temper this week. So-and-so came to me and they were really wounded about it. Don't be defensive. Just like, yeah, you're right. I'm going to go to them. I'm sorry you had to be the one to come tell me. Just get humble. Get with the Lord and let him just. And then I think we can be a real help for New York City. Or we can at least plant the seeds that the next generation will be able to work with. I think God wants to do something here. You have an amazing place, like I say. Food is everywhere. Cars just pick you up randomly. It's, that's cool. Most of the rest of us don't, don't get that. And to you, that's life. And I think that's amazing. I wish it was get to my house. Hey, I need to go here. There's a car. Okay. Enjoy that and be thankful for it. And if you don't like this system, make a new one. You have the capacity. And so that's really, in a nutshell, what I'm trying to do in my life. I'm trying to get to where God can use me in Mexico. And I have been doing this, I guess, since my parents moved there. I was about five years old. So it's been over 40 years. And how long have I been actually effective at doing it? I'll let you know when I get there. I think we're not really effective until we really start seeing the stuff that Jesus saw. But are we seeing people getting healed? Yes. Are we seeing marriages being fixed? Yes. Are we seeing lives being changed? Yes. So that is beautiful. But I'm like, there's got to be more. There's got to be a way to do it better. And that's where I want you to, to be. You may have the most unspiritual job you can imagine, that's your challenge. Turn that around. Make that to where that's the spiritual job. Just include God in it. Say, Lord, what are we doing today? Maybe you make paintbrushes. I don't know. I don't know what you do. It doesn't seem very spiritual to make paintbrushes. But we need paintbrushes. I want you to, to let God use you to let your mind and your spirit and your body be a vessel for the Lord. 
And it's going to take him having some hard conversations with you, like that young man. And we don't know later, or maybe the young man later got it together, and maybe he fixed it later. I don't know. I don't think he was doomed because he made a bad decision that one day with Jesus. I think God's mercy is bigger than that. We don't know that. And so let's, let's get with God and say, God, what is my thing that you want me to, to deal with? And then when he reveals it to you, oh, you're going to be upset. But work towards it. And, and, and it's, it's not a one-day thing. I don't believe we're ever going to do a one-day deal. It's like, oh, great, I made it. I'm perfect now. I just, I keep waiting for that, but I don't. I keep reading that verse, and it's gone now. It says it's difficult to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's going to be hard. It's going to be emotional. I hate emotional stuff. Ugh, it gets all over you. It's icky. I'm married to the opposite. She sleeps emotionally. It's just, she just radiates emotions. It gets all over you all the time. It's just like, whoa, calm down. And then she tells me, you know, living people have emotions. So can we, I'll give you some of mine, then you can cultivate it and develop and you can have some of your own. I'm like, ah, it's just gross. It's like eating broccoli. But let God, let God change who you are. Let him, like, we're literally translating from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Christ. We're in that move right now. And, and I want to be so prepared when we actually land. Or maybe we've landed and, and the Lord's like, wow, I got a lot of work to do here. I think, I think he does that to me still. He's just looking at me. He's like, oh, man, dude. That's just how I view it. You know, maybe I'm close to perfect and I don't even know yet. Every time I try to say that, my wife's like, no, you're not. And I don't think she's being ugly. She's my reality check. When you get to thinking you're amazing, look around at your kids or your wife or your mom and dad and say, how close do you think? Whoo, they'll tell you the truth. It hurts. And if you have small children, they're the worst. For the Daniel, you got it the worst, man. You ask your little daughter, how's dad doing? The, the absolute truth is coming out. And it hurts. And then you're looking at her and like, I still have to love this person. She was that for me, this child here. It was beautiful because the kids, even now, they're not even young anymore. They'll come to me, Dad. And I'm like, what? You've got to change this. Shut up. <laughs> but I go home and I think about it. They're right. So I love that, that that we have that cultivated, the communication. You gotta let people around you share with you your not beautiful parts. And don't even begin to imagine you don't have them. Well, why don't we pray together? And uh, after we pray, if someone needs prayer for something, if you're sick, if you're going through some just emotional garbage and you're struggling, We'd like to just pray with you and ask God to just touch you in a real way.
so that some of this garbage that we carry around we can begin to just get rid of. So Father in heaven, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to get with you and to get with your people. Lord, we bless this city. Lord, it's a lot of people here and we got a lot of work to do and you do too, Lord, but we just want a blessing to come on New York City, God. We want this place to be a place of peace, to be a place where the Lord can reign, to be a place where, where it's known that the Lord dwells here. And Lord, we know that it feels impossible, but we know you can do it. Lord, we ask for an outpouring of healings and miracles. Use your people here, God, and use them throughout this city. Lord, let your name be known here. We just ask the name of the Lord be known here in New York City, that God does wonders and that God heals and that God sets people free. I just thank you, Lord, for beginning to do the work and let us be a part of it, God. We want to be a part of what you're doing here. We want to be willing vessels to, to help New York City to make it. And we stand in the gap, God. We, we ask that judgment not be poured out because we want salvation and grace to come. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord.